We're going to continue our look into James, into the problem of judging and slander among believers in the church. James, again, in his his no-nonsense, in-your-face style, calls a problem that was happening in the church then. And sadly, sadly, times have not really changed much. As Solomon lamented, there's nothing new under the sun. We're going to go ahead and start uh, by reading, rereading James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Go ahead and open your copy of God's Word. God's Word says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, last week, we, we began by looking at this by clearing up some, some common misconceptions, some erroneous thinking that has invaded the minds of people, and unfortunately not properly addressed or corrected by the church, mostly due to the convenient excuse it gives people to not live up to some responsibilities they are giving as members of the body. In order to to properly understand what slander and judging wrongly is, we first looked at what it is not. So a quick refresher in case you missed it last week. What slander or judging wrongly does not mean, does not mean to be discerning in regard to character or teaching. We talked about false teaching and false teachers, and we need to recognize it and we need to confront it by name. Second, to speak to someone about their sin or false teaching. We talked about it's, it's the most loving thing we can do for somebody if we find them in error to rescue them from that. And third, to evaluate spiritual maturity and doctrinal views. We need to, to hold a standard for leaders and warn others. There are clearly times that we must speak out and confront issues within the body, within the church fellowship, to protect the body and the fellowship. If you, if you missed last week, you can, you can find that message on our Facebook page or on YouTube. But this week, we're going to look at what slander and judging is, what slander and judging, judging others wrongly does mean. We have five points there. You can see them in your your outline. You you slander and judge wrongly when you criticize out of jealousy, bitterness, selfish ambition, or some other sin, rather than seeking to, to build them up in Christ. In other words, your motive, your motive is crucial. When James says in 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, some versions translate it to do not slander one another. Slander means maligning someone or damaging his reputation by sharing false or deliberately misleading information. 
and it's always sin. But the word that James uses has a broader meaning, and it includes any form of criticism or running someone down from selfish motives. In other words, what you are saying might be true. It may be right. But the reason you are sharing it is not. It's not to help that person or even others. It's to make yourself look good and to to put the other person in a bad light. If your motive in criticizing someone is jealousy, selfish ambition, rivalry, pride, or hatred, you are judging wrongly. And to share it with others is slander. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So, when you're speaking of somebody, check your motive. Check your motive. Second, you slander and judge wrongly when you assume you know all the facts, the motives, their motives. In Philippians, Paul impugns the, the motives of some of his detractors who were preaching out of envy, strife, and selfish ambition trying to capitalize on his imprisonment. In Philippians 1, 15 through 17, he, he said, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Now, I don't know how Paul knew their motives, But he must have had solid evidence for it. Evidence that he had properly discerned before he spoke out. So you need to make sure that you properly discern solid evidence first. If you don't, you're on shaky ground to judge another person's motive. Let's be honest here. We seldom know all the pertinent facts to make judgments about people, do we? Do you really know the person? The story of their life? That person that you, that you say seems so aloof. Because they, they never talk to you, but they can seem to talk a mile a minute to somebody else. Well, that person may struggle with a social anxiety or a lack of confidence. And that may may make them overcompensate with one person and avoid interaction at all with others. How about that one who has absolutely no patience for alcohol? No patience. And they're very, very vocal about it. No grace. They may have grown up in a family that was devastated by it. Before becoming judgmental and slandering them, get to know them. Get to know them. Don't assume that you know all the facts. Don't assume that you know all the motives. Find out their story. You may discover some unknown struggles. And that may help you to be more patient with their shortcomings. And it will give you an opportunity to help them. Instead of judging and slandering them, don't assume that you know it all. 
You slander and judge wrongly when you set up man-made standards rather than holding to God's word as the standard. Paul devotes two chapters to this problem. Romans 14, the vegetarian believers were judging those who ate meat. Others observed certain days as holy and and judged those who didn't. In 1 Corinthians 8, the the problem was eating food that had been offered to idols. People were judging each other based on their conviction. But these are areas where the Bible does not give a definitive command about. It's wrong to take your personal convictions and set them up as the standard to judge others. That was a major sin of the Pharisees. They had, they had added dozens, dozens of man-made rules to God's law. Rules that governed even the most mundane of life's tasks. And then they judged everyone who didn't keep them. But Jesus had a very strong rebuke for them in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, 23 through 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. See, they were, they were satisfied with their focus on the incidentals and the externals. And they willfully resisted the spiritual meaning of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. They were focused on outward appearances, but their hearts were far from God. They neglected God's commandments and held instead to the traditions of men, according to Mark chapter 7. Christians all too often fall to this error of judging by men's standards. For example, the Bible never says, you can look all you want, but the Bible never says, thou shall not smoke. Thou shall not smoke. It's not in your Bible. It may surprise you to learn that before modern medical science proved how bad smoking was for your health, manly, many godly saints like Charles Spurgeon and Jonathan Edwards smoked. Now hear me on this. If you smoke, I advise you to quit. I advise you to quit. It's poor stewardship of your body, and it wastes the money that God has given you. It is not good for your body. It's not good for your temple. I know from experience how hard it can be to quit. But you can, with God's help. Now, I've been to to many, many Christian conferences, many men's conferences over the years. And I would guess that if any of the pastors or, or men that were attending there were to light up a cigar or a pipe during the break, others would think, well, he denies the faith. At the very least, they would have said, doesn't he know that his body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? How can he do that? Yet, Yet many of these same pastors have seriously overweight temples, which is also poor stewardship of the body 
and waste God's money. I've watched these same men violate self-control, fruit of the Spirit, piling their plates up high, going back for seconds, and then for dessert. So if we judge smoking as wrong, why don't we judge gluttony to be the same? There's a story of D.L. Moody going to meet Charles Spurgeon. D.L. Moody went to London to meet Spurgeon, whom he had admired from a distance, and considered to be his professional mentor. However, when Spurgeon answered the door with a cigar in his mouth, Moody fell down the stairs in shock and said, How could you, a man of God, smoke that? Spurgeon took the stogie out of his mouth, walked down the steps to where Moody was still standing in bewilderment. Putting his finger on Moody's rather rotund stomach, he smiled and said, The same way you, a man of God, could be that fat. Ouch. If you can't say amen, say ouch, right? Both men were amazing preachers and evangelists, but they were also both human. And what is, what is wrong is wrong. It's easy to fall into judging by man-made standards rather than by God's word. But don't do it. We must submit to all of God's word, the standard. God's word is the standard. You slander and judge wrongly when you don't judge your own sin before trying to help them with theirs. And this is Jesus' point in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, he doesn't say that it's wrong to help your brother get the speck out of his eye. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it is the correct, loving thing to do. But before you do, deal with a log in your eye. If you went to an eye doctor to remove a speck from your eye, and he had a log sticking out of his, you wouldn't want him touching yours, your eye, would you? Would you? He can't see. He's blind too. Here, let me get that out of there. If you haven't removed the log from your own eye, you will come across as arrogance, lacking in compassion. Removing, removing our own logs has a way of humbling us. And that's kind of the point. If it forces us to address the issues in our lives first. Examine yourself. Make sure that you don't have any unrepentant sin in your life. Make sure your heart, your motive is right. That you understand the facts. Then 
Then go help your brother or your sister. Then go help them. Gently restore them. Otherwise, otherwise it's just the blind leading the blind. You slander and judge wrongly when you share confidential or personal information with the wrong intent. One of the most common examples of this is when someone says, well, I wanted you to know about this situation so that you could be praying. But you, but you really have no need to know the information. You're, you're not even part of the solution. The person sharing it just wanted, just wanted to feel important because they know what's going on. They're in the loop. Or another way that this happens is to share damaging information about another person. To make yourself look good or to win people to your side in a grudge you have against another person. We get mad. We crave the satisfaction of character assassination from afar, sniping at our enemies when they don't even know they're in danger. The one sharing it wants to slant the truth against the other person for some reason, often to hide their own sin. Now, sometimes the intent is malicious. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we just get bored. We want to entertain ourselves by snacking on the, the shameful stories of other people's lives. Proverbs 18.8, 8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. But then Proverbs 11.13 says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. 1 Timothy 5.13, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying they should not. Now, obviously, we're, we're talking about gossip. Gossip. Gossip can be hard to resist. I heard this definition of the sin of gossip. It's bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. And that functional definition refers to the action itself, the content of the corrupt communication, the situation where it occurs, perhaps most importantly, the motivations of the people involved. Bearing bad news Bad information sometimes. The story may be false. And if you know that beforehand, then spreading it is not just gossip, but it's slander. And that is so serious that even, even our secular world has a law against that. It's about someone. Now, you may have been taught, well, if it's true, then it's not gossip. Just because someone actually did something wrong does not mean that we need to or get to talk about it with others. Behind their back, when they're not around, it's clandestine, sly, hidden, stealthy. It's when you, you suddenly lower your voice. 
look around to see who else might be listening. And then you step closer to your friend as you speak. Well, bad heart. Something has gone wrong with us at the core of our beings. Jesus taught us that all the words we speak, good and bad, flow out of the abundance of our hearts. Matthew. Some bad motivations are more wicked than others, too. Backstabbing gossip bent on revenge is birthed in malice. It threatens to sink whole fellowships. That kind of gossip is worse than being a busybody or someone who is too interested in other people's business. Yet Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36, that we will give an account for every careless word. Every careless word we have spoken. Not just the malicious ones. Gossip is the opposite of the gospel. Gossip is the opposite of the gospel. Ask yourself, what are you spreading? Our words and how we use them toward one another is a source of many of the conflicts within the body today. Just as in James' time. James says that to resolve conflicts, we need to stop slandering and judging others. Because he always shows what it reveals. Reveals what we think. What we think of others. The law. God. And ourselves. What we think of others. James uses the words neighbor in verse 12. Probably shows us that he was in, in mind the second greatest commandment of Matthew 12, 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Slandering or judging your neighbor in the way that we looked at today is not to love them. It is not to love them. Instead, it sets yourself up in a position that belongs to God alone. And that's lawgiver and judge. Love does not tear down others. It builds them up in Christ. If you speak against others and criticize them to make yourself look good, you are loving yourself, not others. Of course, we must love others with our deeds, but not our words only. But James' focus here is on how we speak to and about one another. Our words need to demonstrate God's love. God loves, God loves these brothers and sisters. So much that he sent his son to pay the penalty for their sin. To redeem them from it. To reconcile them to himself. They are covered by the same grace that you are. To slander and judge them wrongly is to reveal what you think of others. It ignores who and what God says they are. His forgiven and redeemed children. James says that those who speak evil against his brother reveal what they think of the law. James call, calls God's word the law to show its authoritative nature. James explains that we are doing 
what we're doing when we speak evil, slander, and judge one another. We're speaking evil against the law. And we are judging the law. To speak evil of one another is to speak evil of God's law. To judge one another by human external judgments is to become a judge over God's law. Why? Because we're choosing to ignore various commands of God's law. Like to love your neighbor. Remember what James called the royal law in chapter 2? James 2.8 If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. You are doing well. See, you can't, you can't love a person and slander them at the same time. James doesn't merely just say, watch your tongue. Watch how you talk about each other. Stop talking. Now it's on. Whoa. All right. All right. James says, doesn't just say, watch your tongue. Watch how you talk about each other. Don't slander your brother. He wants us to understand something else. We are breaking the royal law. We are breaking the law of God. We are sitting in judgment of God's law. When we break a law on a regular basis, then we're implying that that we don't believe that it's a good law. It's not a good law for us to be under. Well, that's pretty wild, isn't it? If we continue to break a law, we're saying it's not a good law. If you don't put on your seatbelt every time you get in your car, you're saying, that's a stupid law. I don't need to be under that law. I don't know who made that law. They're not going to, they don't have that authority over me. When you continuously speed, you're saying, that's too slow. I don't know who made that speed limit. They're wrong. It should be 70 through here. That's saying the law giver didn't know what they were doing. Rather than seeing that it is God's law and doing it, we sit in judgment as we decide if if we're going to keep it. There is only one lawgiver, one judge. That person is not you. That person is not me. That person is God. He is the only one who gives the law. And he is the only one who can stand in judgment of the law. Slander and wrongly judge your brother or your sister You're not obeying God's law. You're setting yourselves above it. When we do that, we make ourselves judge of God's law rather than doers. We usurp God's place as lawgiver and judge. And that reveals what we think of God. What we think of God. James 4.12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. As Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. 
but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If another person has wronged you, you don't need to judge that person. You don't need to judge that person because God will. Instead, you should pray for their salvation. You should pray for their repentance. You should pray for their faith. That God will make the changes in their life that is necessary. Because he is more than able to change even the hardest of hearts. No matter what you think about them, he is more than able. No one, no one is beyond the life-changing power of God. Amen? You know how I know that? He changed you. He changed you. Your slander and judgment against the other person is a sin against God. The same God who rightly could have sent you to hell. Submit to God by obeying his word, which commands us not to slander, wrongly judge others. To not, to not reveals what you think of God. It reveals what you think of ourselves. James ends these two convicting verses with a pointed question. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? He's implying here, do you think you're God? Do you think you're God? If not, then then why do you put yourself in God's role? Clearly, judging others stems from incredible arrogance. When you find yourself thinking judgmental about others, judge your pride. God could have rightly judged you, but he didn't. He will righteously judge the one that you are condemning. But it is not your place to do it. Who are you? Who do you think you are? As if we can judge God's law and question his commands, rather than keeping quiet and submitting What makes you think that you are superior to another person? Who gives you the right to criticize someone else? What makes you greater? We can can get a pretty high view of ourselves, can't we? Can't we? We're pretty, pretty prideful people. God even rebuked a righteous Job as he innocently endured all that he went through. Job 38.4 God tells Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Verses 16-18 through Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. If you you need a reminder, if you need a reminder of who is who, read Job 38. Humble yourselves before God. Be a doer. It's easy to criticize others. But are you a doer? 
It's easy to sit on the sidelines and throw stones at everyone else who is trying to work for the Lord. Often we think that we are the doers, and those people, those people, they're, they're just the hearers. But you are not a doer when you speak evil of another. You may want and try to argue with this, but, but James is right. We are not keeping the law of God when we slander. We are not doers. We have set ourselves up as judge. We are usurping the right that only God has as lawgiver and judge. We need to simply keep quiet, obey the commands of God. Only the proud, only the prideful would have the foolishness to speak evil of others, forgetting their proper place before the Lord. God's word tells us slander is a serious sin that you and I need to deal with. But how do we deal with it? First, you need to confess you are guilty of slander and ask for forgiveness. Psalm 32.5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you find yourself, if you found yourself being a person who has been judgmental, slandering others, you need to confess to God. And you may need to confess to the other person. You won't ever escape a sinful habit until you admit it's a problem. People who deny they are sick won't ever get well. Second, you need a change of heart. We need to forsake a judgmental, condemning attitude or toward others. I heard about a guy who came to a pastor one time and says, I don't have but one talent. I don't have but one talent. The pastor asked him, what, what's your talent? man says, well, I have the gift of criticism. I have the gift of criticism. The pastor was wise. And he thought about the parable in the Bible. And he said, you know, the guy who had only one talent went out and buried it. Maybe you should do the same. <laughs> Ask God to help you love others. To love others the way he loves you. Third, you need to practice seasoning your, your speech with love and kindness. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other, each one. Yes, it will take practice. It will take time and effort. The power of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome them. But by God's grace, through your commitment to obedience, we can change our behavior to match God's word if we want to. That's the power of the gospel, isn't it? That's the power of the gospel. What it does in each of our lives. If you struggle with this, you can overcome it with God's help. I want to close with a, a story about a farmer's wife. But it could be anybody. 
This farmer's wife has spread a slanderous story about her pastor. And soon the whole countryside had heard it. Sometime later, though, the woman became sick. And then she confessed that the story wasn't even true. After her recovery, she came to the pastor. She craved his his pardon. The old pastor said, of course, of course I will gladly pardon you if you will comply with a wish of mine. Gladly, she said, gladly, whatever. So he said, go home. Kill a black hen, pluck the feathers, put them in a basket, and then bring them here. So she left. And in half an hour, she came back, and she had the basket full of feathers. The pastor said, now, now go through the village, and at each street corner, scatter a few of these feathers. And then, the, then the remaining ones take to the, the top of the bell tower, and then scatter them in the winds, and then come back. So she left. A little while later, she came back. He told her, now, now go through the village and and gather all the feathers again and and make sure that not one is missing. The woman looked at the the pastor in astonishment. She said, "Well, well, that's impossible. The wind has scattered it everywhere. He said, so while I forgive you gladly, Do not forget that you can never undo the damage your words have done. Our words. We must be careful with the words we use. Forgiveness is available. But sometimes, sometimes the damage can be lasting. Slander is a serious sin to others and more importantly to the Lord. It has serious consequences in the lives of other other people. Do you and I take slander seriously? More importantly, what will we do about it? What will we do about this sin? In this section, James has given us some very straightforward words. He addressed what causes the quarrels and the fights among us. He told us what we need to do. They're God's way to resolve conflict with him and with others. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. He put us together for a reason, for us to use our words and to do these things, to quarrel among ourselves, the church. Can you imagine how it breaks his heart? We we, we started this morning... I shared with you with everything that's going on in Canada. And how the church must be united. Christians must be united as we take a stand. How then do we destroy ourselves? How then do we do we slander and judge one another? How then do we tear one another down instead of building one another up? to be critical of each other instead of encouraging each other. If we obey these instructions, God will draw us near. He will cleanse us. He will forgive us. The wars can end. 
And it will be the maturity, the evidence of the maturity of our tested faith. The glory of his name and his church. Amen? He has called us together as one body. Brothers and sisters, we are to love and encourage each other. Recognizing we're all human. We all fail in certain ways. And as a brother, as a sister, our, our job is not to, to find that wounded one and then put them out of their misery. Our job, our responsibility as a loving brother or sister is to go to them, to care for them, to tend to that wound, to help them come back. So, examine yourself. Examine your heart. Examine your motives. Examine the words that you speak to and of one another. Are they honoring God? Are they honoring your position as a brother or sister, the member of the body of Christ? If not, repent. Ask for forgiveness. Get a change of heart by reading God's word. Immerse yourself in his truth. And then practice, practice, and practice. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you again grateful, thankful for your word. Father, we're grateful that you have put us all together as a body. Not just here, but other brothers and sisters in, in other locations. Father, we are all one body. And I, I pray, Father, that you would help us take this lesson, the way that we use our words toward one another, how they can be so damaging and tear one another down. How it puts us in a position as, as law giver and judge, which only belongs to you. Father, I just pray that you would help us to be mindful of our position before you. That you would help us to search ourselves. And if this sin be found in us, that we would repent. We would confess it. We would repent of it. We would turn to you for the help that we need to overcome it. And that we would practice what you command us to do. Father, we just pray that you would help us to do this for your glory, for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen.